there are these kind of, um, we call them homework, or sometimes I like to think of them of extra helpings. So um, if you want to go a little bit deeper, in, uh, whether it's in your home group or uh, as an individual, then there are some, some uh, uh, extra bits uh, for going deeper on the uh, table outside. And house group leaders, you'll be there in the email to you, even... Uh, well, they've gone. They went a few about half an hour ago, so that should be all ready for you. Uh, and actually, this week it will be good to to kind of follow on if you'd like to using that material because this is a, a huge subject. We're thinking about the the whole business of this new world that's coming, and uh, it, it's a bit like I'm kind of kind of go across like stepping stones really uh, and it's good to take a look down at what's in the pond you know but when you discover there's coral reefs to dive around and stuff you can jump off this uh, stepping stones dive around and enjoy uh, a lot more that there is in God's word about this subject so we're in this short series on hope as we've seen and we saw didn't we last week that hope is part of our normal human experience as human beings we have this capacity to hope We all hope for something at some time. It's perhaps, uh, you might say, we can't live without hope. And and there are kind of verses in the Bible, the wisdom literature, that suggest that without hope, then, then, then we become kind of very dysfunctional as people. It's part of our lives. Usually it's part of our lives because uh, wherever we are, there's always times and places and situations where, where where we are is not where we'd like to be. Have you recognized that in your life? Where you are is not quite where you'd like to be and you, you hope for change. And sometimes it can be just a yearning for something better or something different. Then sometimes it, it take, becomes more than that. We take action. Or we know that someone else is doing something and, and it becomes hope in, in someone else. As Lou said uh, last week, we, we kind of put our hope in politicians. You know, we, we hope that it's all going to be different, you know, whether we're in or out of the Euro- European Union. We put our, our hope and vote accordingly and so on and so forth. Or we have hope in a plan, an idea or an initiative. And for the Christian, we have hope like that. It's based on someone on the living God. It's based on something that he has done in Jesus Christ. And, and as you approach the Christian life, if you're just looking in at it, it, it may start as a kind of, I wish my life could be different. Or I kind of feel that, you know, I, I'd like to, God to be in my life somehow. And I don't quite know how. And you might do Alpha or something like that. And it starts in that kind of wishy, kind of hoping way. In that way we use hope. But as you find out more, you begin to see what it's based on. And as we realize what God has done in Jesus, it starts to get anchored in what we know to be true from the evidence we have in different ways. We all, a number of us who've seen the film, couldn't help but think, could we, of Rogue One last week when we were thinking about hope? Rogue One, the new Star Wars film, if you haven't seen it, is all about hope. And the whole story is based on this kind of threat that the evil empire has got this hideous uh, death star, which shows up later in the series as well, of course. And um, there's this hope that they can, uh, it can be taken out before it does any real lasting damage to the universe and so on and so forth. And as you know, the story, the, the hope starts with a wish. 
There's this dangerous thing and we've got to do something. And it's a hope in a person. The man who designed the star has built, uh, uh, his star is like a huge space station, by the way. But those of you, he's built this floor into it that you can kind of, uh, can be attacked later. So it's a hope in his idea. And then the, the little rebel group get going. And, and are they going to make it? Are they not? And they start talking about, well, if we can do the next step and the next step and the next step. And, and you know, without giving too many spoilers away, uh, actually, you know, they succeed in their part of it. And the hope gets, um, the hope gets better. But now you're laughing because you, you know they succeed because you know what the end of the story is going to be. Because you've seen it in Star Wars episode number Four. And it's fascinating that the film works, I think, it is very satisfying at two levels because you see the, the hope that is growing in the characters as they're taking one step and another step. But actually, because we, the audience, we know it's going to be all right, don't we? Even though some pretty rough things happen to those people, and I don't want to give too much away, uh, on the route. So the, and the Bible's hope is a bit like that. You know, and it's sometimes that, uh, you know, as a Christian, we know we will win. But at times we feel like uh, Felicity, what's her name's character in Star Wars, it says we just have to take one step after another step after another step. And often it can be like that. So we have to battle on and trust that God is with us. Because faith, as we heard last week, faith, trust in God, Hebrews 11 verse 1 is that just that we trust God, we trust what he has done. We have confidence about what we hope for, Hebrews 11 verse 1. We heard last week, and as you've already heard, uh, we have that unforgettable image of Louise uh, uh, wearing the helmet to show us that we need to have that hope, like uh, a, a helmet protecting us. And as, as she said last week, we, f- we fill the kind of reservoir of our minds and hearts with truth from God's word that we can draw on as things get tough, because they do. Well, today we're thinking about hope for the world. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that we're saved in hope. It tells us that in Romans 5 that, that we boast, or that means we get excited about, in the Bible, boasting means we get excited about something and big it up rather than saying, no, 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 I'm better than you kind of thing. It's that kind of sense of glorying and boasting. What do we boast about? The hope of the glory of God. But here's a question. Is that hope of, uh, of the glory of God that we, we know we're going to be part of as believers, is that just for us all on our own or us with all the other Christians? And by glory that we hope for, do we think that being a Christian is just about going to some place called heaven when I die and taking as many people as I can win to Christ were there with me? Well, today we're going to be thinking about how it's much more than that, that there's a future for creation and that Jesus is the center of that future. And we're going to think about how we're going to be part of it when it all happens. So here's the first thing. Let's think about a future for creation. You see, the big message of the Bible is that history is going somewhere. We're not just on a kind of continuing, uh, continuous spin cycle, like a washing machine that can't turn itself off. You know, that, that history going round and round and round and getting faster and faster and faster, and we're getting kind of flown, you know, thoroughly dried out, you know, to the point of destruction as history just spins and we spin with it. 
No. The Bible declares that God is the Lord of history and that he will bring it to a close and that he, the living God, intervenes throughout this story and it's his intervention that will bring it all to an end. But not just the end, it's actually the beginning of something else. And this ending and this new beginning involves creation, involves the whole universe, the whole created everything. Uh, Want to check that out? Look at Psalm 96. We are going to be looking at a few verses. If, if Rob wants to bring them up, feel free. But I'll try and give you um, page numbers as we go. This is on page 603. If you want to follow it or just listen, that's fine, obviously. Verse 11 of Psalm 96. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Why? Because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And you get the same thing in Psalm 98. This is a picture of God coming to put it all right again. God coming in judgment. And we think about judgment as, you know, oh, now everything's going to be fried up. You know, God kind of, you know, chuck it all away and everything. But, but here this is about judgment means God's coming to put things right. Every injustice, everything that's, that's bad, everything that doesn't work, everything that's broken in all of creation is going to get fixed because God is coming and creation, at the thought of that, has a party. The fields are singing, the trees are clapping their hands. Yeah, it's poetry, obviously. These trees don't have hands and I've never heard a field singing, but you know what I mean. And other places in the Old Testament, it talks of God winding up history. The Old Testament prophets talk about a day coming which they call the day of the Lord. And the image of fire is used. Uh, so you see that in, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, the very, uh, almost the last page of the Old Testament, has this, this thought um, of God coming to put things right, to clean things up. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, page 962, if you want to follow it, but it's just a few verses, so I suggest you listen. Uh, Surely the day is coming. That's the day of the Lord. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left for them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, etc. As a typical part of the Old Testament view of God coming to put everything right. But there's also, uh, the, the, and, and these, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. And John the Baptist, he, he picks up on this idea. Do you remember when, when he told people that Jesus was coming? What did he tell them? He said, he's coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, and John the Baptist preaching was saying, the day of the Lord, it's coming, it's here, the one who's coming, the one who's going to cut the axe, you know, cut the tree down. Remember John the Baptist saying all that kind of stuff. He's kind of, John the Baptist is tapping in to, to these uh, truths from the Old Testament. Now these statements come in poetic language, so we have to read them as such. But there's this promise of God putting everything right. God getting rid of what's evil. Creation being renewed. In Isaiah, Isaiah talks quite a lot about this kind of stuff in, in his prophecy. 
He applies it both to the kind of uh, Israel getting out of exile and out of captivity, but also to the end of everything. So in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, on page 753, this is what God says. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. And he goes on and describes what it's going to be like. And he has these amazing pictures uh, of that. In verse 25, there's this picture of the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy. There's a similar picture in Isaiah chapter 11 verses 4 to 9. Where again, this idea that as God comes and puts everything right, the whole of creation is involved in that too. Now, the New Testament um, takes up the same theme, um, and we're going to look into 2 Peter, page 1224 in the Bibles, verse 10, and you'll recognize some of this language. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by a fire, by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Again, it's not time to go into this, but again, the language is of the day of the Lord coming. And actually uses the language Jesus used as well of a thief in the night. In fact, Jesus in the Gospels puts himself in that picture. When Jesus talks about it, he doesn't talk about the day of the Lord, but he talks about the coming of the Son of Man. He puts himself into that framework. And again, here there is this picture of everything being laid bare. A shaking of the elements. And again, the language is what they call apocalyptic or poetic, descriptive. It might refer to heavenly bodies or spiritual powers. I remember Jesus talked about the planets moving and all that kind of stuff when he talked about um, the end of the world. And, and again, it, it could be a kind of symbolic language. But what, but what is the promise? The promise is a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what is described at the end of the book of Revelation as well. It's, it's, it's hard to get this language because it, it's very kind of um, the Greek here about the, it, it has words that are like crackling and so on. I think the best way to describe it, uh, if I can, if you go to um, parts of the, some parts of the world, like we were in Canada last year, and we were in Canada about oh, a few years before that, and there have been forest fires. And you know what happens in a forest fire? It's pretty, everything just gets taken away 
Um, but when you go back, as we did, we were with Ian and Christy Hunby, actually, in their back garden. And they said, look over there. See that over there? It's all this lovely green grass and trees growing. And he said, that, that's, do you remember? Now, some of you may remember a long time ago, we prayed because uh, Ian worked in a wood pulp mill in that part of British Columbia. And there was a forest fire that was threatening the mill and it was kind of sweeping across. And he said, see over there, that's, that's where the fire was. And there's all this kind of, you wouldn't know it. And it's almost like in these pictures, you know, you, it's like that kind of forest fire kind of destruction and rebirth all squeezed into like a nano, a, a second almost, a, a sudden change. But however we come to understand the details of it, it's clear, isn't it, this, that this creation we're part of is not something that's just going to give way to some kind of fluffy, cloudy, you know, heaven-type place where we lounge around in our kind of dressing gowns or something. But that it's, it's a, there's a new world coming. There's a whole new creation coming. More of that later. Because creation matters within the purposes of God. And what's different about this new world? Well, fundamentally, what's different is that righteousness is now at home. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where righteousness is at home. Righteousness, goodness, living with God at the center of our lives, worshipping him as a lifestyle. That's kind of not really that cool. Can I use that expression? Shouldn't really. In our world as it is, is it? Everything kind of goes in the other direction. But one day there's, there's a creation coming where absolutely righteousness is at home completely everywhere. In every part of the, the universe. Because I think it extends beyond this planet myself. But then I, I am a Star Wars fan. So. so that's the first point. There's a future for creation. But let's look now to see how... It's gone dead, Rob. Thanks. How Jesus is... The future hope of creation. Have a look now. Turn a few pages back if you're in, uh, Peter, to Colossians chapter 1. Letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a town called Colossae. They were Colossians and he wrote this letter to them. And I'm looking on page 1182. And I'm going to read some very well-known verses. They, they, they could be in the form actually of a, a, a very ancient hymn kind of summary of key truth about Jesus. As we read it, look out for what it says about Jesus and what it says about creation. Verse 15. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, that's all God's fullness, dwell in him, the Son. And through him, the Son, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Whoa. It says a lot about creation. It says a lot about the sun. You can get, unpa- unpack it in your house groups if you choose that question. It's a, certainly about the complexity of creation. Creation includes the unseen created world and the, the, uh, as well as the seen created world. Things we see, things we don't. So the spiritual powers are part of it too. Jesus is the one it's for. He is the one who is over it. He's also actively involved in it. It says he holds it together. And then it goes on to say he's head over the new creation. Who's the new creation? Hey, that's us. His body, the church, people who know him and love him. He's supreme in everything. And then verse 20, this is the thing I want to highlight. What's he done or what is he doing? He will reconcile all things to himself. That's everything will be touched by Jesus. Everything will, will be put right, will be back in the place it should be. So, so this future kind of putting right, this new creation, this fixing of everything, who, who's at the center of it? Well, Jesus is. Ephesians 1 verse 9 and 10, now I won't turn to it now, but you can check it out. In a parallel passage to the Ephesians, Paul says, God will bring everything, everything into unity in Christ. So the Everything gets kind of put back together in Christ. That's what uh, Ephesians 1 verse 9 says. So the way creation gets put right, the way it all gets straight again, is through Jesus, who as creator and resurrected Lord has done something. What has he done? Verse 20. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's like there's been a massive war going on. It affects the whole of creation. It affects the unseen world, the spiritual world, uh, which actually, you know, this is a bit of a sideline, is where it started. And from there it came into our world, as we read in Genesis. And human beings joined the rebellion, the civil war against the loving rule of God. And in verses 21 and 22, it tells us that Jesus has brought it all to an end. Jesus has made peace. Jesus' cross has sorted everything out. That's how the whole of creation is able to be renewed and remade. Because of what Jesus has done when he made peace. Now we learn more about this in Romans chapter 8. I I did warn you we were going to move around a bit. So a few pages back. Uh, And I'm on page 1134. Verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8 tells us, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So it tells us that we've been set free. How and who is it for? Those who are in Christ Jesus. And further down the passage, uh, Paul explains what he means by that in verse uh, 
verse 10. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is uh, uh, subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So, who are those in Christ Jesus? Those in whom Christ lives. Those who have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Those who have come to know Jesus, those who have been set free, those who have turned from sin and the old way and welcomed him because of his good news in the gospel into our experience as we've turned to him. It's those people, us, if you're a believer here this morning. But it does say, doesn't it, that our bodies are still locked into this old world of death. It says that in verse 10. And so we suffer. And some of us suffer more than others and at different times and it's always terrible and it's awful and, and hard to understand. And you know, even if we know in our heads, in our emotions, it's still really awful. And the Bible is open and honest about that. Our bodies are still kind of in this broken world. They're still subject ultimately to death. But we're going to be raised because Jesus has brought us to life by the Holy Spirit in verse 11. So we do suffer. It can be tough. Ultimately, we will die, most of us, probably all of us, unless Jesus returns before. But there is glory with Jesus to come. We're in this in-between time. And it's not just us, but it's the whole of creation is in that place. And verses 18 to 25 point that out. Uh, I won't read that now, but read it later. We talked a bit about it on um, January the 1st, so you can listen to that talk if you want to. But, but this idea that the whole of creation is, is locked down or is, is restricted, is, is under kind of bondage, and the whole of creation is, is longing for the point when God's people are, you know, come into everything that's promised, when, when, when the resurrection happens, when time gets wound up and the whole of creation is set free that's what we're looking forward to well that's what creation is looking forward to what this is telling us is that what God has done in Jesus resurrection he will do for us who know him and love him and have been kind of connected with him through believing in him and trusting him what God did for Jesus he will do for us But he will also do for the whole of creation. Because the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely at the center of all this. And more than that, that it's Jesus who comes as the Lord to bring judgment that creation sings about. We won't turn to it. Time is getting on. I've got another point to do. Do you remember when Paul was in Athens talking to the skeptical Athenians? I won't turn it out, but if you're, if you're watching it so, or listening or taking notes, it's Acts 17, verse 30 to 31. Paul tells the Greek skeptics that God has appointed a day when he will judge the world by a man, Christ Jesus. Paul actually says Jesus is the one. He's the one who's coming to put everything right. And then he goes on to these skeptical Greeks and says... And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 
So what's the proof? How do we know this is true? We know it's true because Jesus has been raised from the dead. There's evidence. It's the most likely um, explanation of the facts. You can, you know, and if you want, you know, Google, um, uh, Google stuff about it and you'll find loads of evidence online. Uh, go to a site called God New Evidence and you'll find a whole series of seven-minute videos all about all the evidence for the resurrection. God New Evidence or Focus Radio. It depends. You can find it in either places. Videos. So we know because of the resurrection. But we also know, as Romans 8 tells us, because we have the Holy Spirit in our own experience. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22, there's this beautiful phrase. It says, God has put his spirit into our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we know it because of the objective facts of Jesus' resurrection. We're sure we have to believe by faith. We have to choose to accept that. But we also know because as we turn to him, the Holy Spirit, he comes into our lives. And so how do we know that there's a, that, you know, how do we know that the, if you like, the main meal is going to be fantastic <laughs> because we've tasted it in the hors d'oeuvre. We've had a taste of what's to come. You know, you go on it, you go on it. How do you know that a cruise is going to be really brilliant? I've never been on one, but I'm told it is. Lots of people here would say it is. Well, if you go on a little taster cruise, you find out, don't you? Uh, and the Holy Spirit is like, he, he, in our lives, he's the, the down payment, the deposit, the ordover. You know, we know that the opera is going to be amazing because we've enjoyed or we are enjoying the overture. See? That's, what, that's how we know. Jesus, the hope of creation. Now, we're going to move quick. So what are we waiting for? <laughs> and how are we waiting Let's have a look at one final passage, Philippians chapter 3, um, and uh, it's on page 1180. Only a couple of verses, but they are really amazing verses. Well, the Bible's full of amazing verses, but in this context, these are particularly amazing. Right, you found them. I stopped wittering. Verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're waiting for Jesus to return from heaven and wind up everything. And when that happens, whether we're alive at the time or whether we've long been long since dead, we will be given new bodies. It says he will transform our bodies. These new bodies will be of the same stuff, as it were, of, of his, as his resurrection body. If you want to look into that, read 1 Corinthians 15. Or 2 Corinthians 5, uh, and these are in the notes, you can look it up in the notes, tells us about these bodies. And if you see from 2 Corinthians 5 that there's continuity with the bodies we have now, but amazing transformation. Paul says, look, it's like, you know, the bodies we're in now, they're like tents, you know. They, oh, sorry, I've got a sticker from Beth. They, they got, they're like tents compared to amazing permanent houses. Uh, and he says, I'm looking forward. He said, when I, when, I, you know, when I meet Jesus, 
I'm not going to be floating around like some, you know, spatial kind of ghosty thing. I'm going to have a new body. And that body is going to be uh, as, as a, a permanent house or, you know, a building like this or uh, a better building is to a tiny, tiddly, you know, um, tent that you take to a festival. Uh, that's the difference. And Paul says, I'm really looking forward to that. And it says here that he will transform our bodies. And what is this place, heaven? It says we're waiting for Jesus to return from there. It is a place. Jesus went there at the ascension. He ascends into heaven. Now, we've got lots of kind of daft ideas about pearly gates. And, and even we think of it being up there. And it isn't up there. I mean, you know, because you, you say, well, Jesus went up in the ascension. But if you were in New Zealand, he'd be going down, if you see what I mean. So even all of that is kind of... Kind of um, you know, a relative, it's what, what they experience to make a bigger truth. So what is it about? It's where Jesus came from and it's where he went back to and it's where he's coming back from. As some kind of theologians would say that it's better seen as like a, a parallel dimension of, of reality. It's God's space. It's the place where, where God, not that God isn't here, but there's a place that is like the, kind of, the, the CEO's kind of office or, or, or a part of, uh, it's part of God's good creation, but, but it's, it's, it's kind of outside of here, but connects with it. It overlaps here. It's connected here. So we pray. We know the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit here. But it's connected to there because Jesus there in that place is praying for us. And there are other ways in which we could work that out. Jesus is the one who rules with all authority over that place, all of heaven, that other dimension, and earth, here. He rules, he reigns, but the rebellion here has not finally ended. It's going on. And though the beginning of the end has begun, there's a mopping up to do, so to speak. And we're part of that ongoing battle, although we know what the future is. And you know, when Jesus was here on earth, he brought the kingdom of heaven into our space. And he continues to work through us here. So when we come to life as believers, we have eternal life in heaven in the future well, now, no, here, now. John 5 says, uh, when Jesus said, if you hear my word, believe on him who sent me, you cross from death to life. You have eternal life now. So eternal life is not just about what happens after this life. We're already, as believers, connected with Jesus into that other space, if you see what I mean. We've come alive in the spirit. We are in the kingdom of God's dear son. We've been rescued out of darkness. And one day, all of this creation we're part of, and indeed the rest of the universe, will become integrated into God's space. So heaven kind of integrates everything. And the rebellion is over. And a new world is seen. More of that in Revelation. The last part of Revelation doesn't, doesn't show believers going to heaven. Actually, it shows heaven coming down onto a new created earth. And a, a whole new, renewed universe, presumably. And all of that started when Jesus came. 
He healed, he forgave, he brought the power of God, the power of heaven, uh, the, the future into now. And he's commissioned us as his followers to go and do the same thing. So what do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, what you want, what's kind of no problem in your space, please help us you know, make it so in where we are now because it's broken and we're sick and we're hurting and there's rebellion. God, your kingdom, please, we want this to bring this kingdom forward, as it were, into the now. That's what Jesus did. So we wait for the day when it's all renewed, when the end of history, when Jesus wraps up this age and the next one begins. But we're not like in a waiting room, like at the doctors, you know, reading magazines and catching bugs off people who are really sick, you know, because they're at the doctors, well, so are you, or giving people bugs if you've got one. that's That's not what waiting means in the Bible. We've got stuff to do. And our mission is to see the authority of this King Jesus, who's been given all authority, says in Matthew 28, over heaven and earth, in both spaces now, worked out in this world as it is now, as we kind of anticipate the next one that is to come. Right across the whole of this creation. Interesting, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus says, go and preach the gospel to all of creation. It's worth thinking about. Talk about that in your uh, groups. Just as Jesus did it. So we do it as Jesus did. How did he do it? Did he do it with fighting, with oppression, with making people do everything he wanted to do, or, or lambing, you know, or, or kind of blasting them if, they, if he didn't? Did he do it from a, by, by you know, creating some super Christian state where everything goes according to the way Christians want it? Is that how he brought the kingdom? No, he did it by loving people, by forgiving people, by healing them, by serving them, by being with them, and by telling them the good news. Of a God who loves them and a God who wants to, them to come home to him. And that's how we do it. With blessing, with transformation, with lives that serve and point people to the king we love. And so we approach the whole of our life and the whole of our world as under his authority. You know, huge space. So you might be a scientist doing PhD work. You might be... Uh, looking after kids you might be working in a care home whatever it is it's all under his authority and it's all part of this creation it's going to be renewed it has a future so let's do some of it now why don't we get involved in it justice is is absent in many many places but in the future Jesus will put it right so if we can why don't we with Jesus start putting right some of it here and now don't have to wait till then. Let's be part of the program, as it were, his program. So we have this huge space to live, to please him, to enjoy his presence, to learn his ways, to share the joy of belonging to Jesus with others, because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the dragged down ways of sin and death. And absolutely, finally, we are citizens of that kingdom. We're connected with him. And in one sense, in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, it says, You've died to your old way. You're seated with Christ. You're alive with him. Now, if we die physically before he comes back, well, we know we're kept safe with him. 
We are with the Lord. Some scriptures talk about being asleep in Jesus. With him, safe until the day that earth and heaven come together in a new creation and we're with him. We reign with him. We rule with him. And we're going to be part of a new creation. A creation that is everything it, I can say, it's always wanted to be. And there's a universe to look after. There's scope to serve him and to enjoy his life with him and with all his people forever. That's what we're waiting for. That's hope. So I think there's a lot to look forward to, don't you? I think we can get on with quite a lot of stuff as well because that hope of the future comes into our lives in the present as we love him, as we share his truth, his presence. So we can get started on a lot of that stuff right here and now. Many of us have, probably all of us have, one way or another. But, you know, let's uh, enjoy it more and see where he'll take us. So I wonder how our, our week might be different as a result of being aware that we know him and there's a hope you coming back while you come back let me pray father in heaven we pray that we may be people who live that hope we we thank you that in that passage uh, in peter it talks about the way we live can kind of bring forward that final future hope and we don't quite understand that but we do pray that we will be those who whose lives have, have a kind of taste of the future that the holy spirit in us changing us that the experience of him now, of you in our lives, will not just be giving us assurance, but also enabling us to live lives that, that reflect Jesus and his beautiful kingship and authority to others. Whatever we do this week, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.